you are the expert generally on, on primarily what at least the foundational elements of that are, but the client is the expert on his or her life. Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap, and this is a first for Bridging the Gap. Today, we are joined by two amazing guests that come from the financial industry, Dave Connolly and Maura Summers. Dave is the CEO and co-founder of Nudge, and Maura is the financial psychologist for Nudge. Today, we find out how Maura and Dave have helped to bridge the gap between financial motivation and having systems in place to help clients reach their financial goals. That's what we are in the business of doing. We take a dive into procrastination. We're all, we've all been there and done that. Three steps of implementation for your clients, what works and what doesn't work in terms of helping clients reach financial goals. And also we talk about how implementation is a shared responsibility and agreement between yourself and the client. Maura and Dave also take us into a conversation of how getting a simple reminder from you as the advisor can make the biggest impact in the client's financial journey, lead them to their financial goals. It's an amazing conversation. I love business. I love psychology. I love wealth management. And this brings all of it together. That's why it's such a great conversation. So let's jump into the conversation with Dave and Maura. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Maura Summers and Dave Connolly, what's going on? I have to admit, I have to admit, before we even say hello to y'all, this is the first time we've had a trio on this podcast. It's only usually been duos, and this is a trio. I'm really stoked about it. So I have to now talk to one individual at a time. So Maura, how are you up in Winnipeg? How's everything going with your side? Things are going very well today. Thank you. That's great. That's great. And Dave up in Boston, how's everything with you? Yeah, everything's great. Spring is in the air. We're busy and getting a lot done up here. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, I think it's so good because this is such an interesting group bringing together because, you know, Dave, you being the co-founder and CEO over at Nudge and Moira, with your background on psychology and, and helping to push that initiative, I think that they bring, they come so well together, right? Because the challenge that we all face in this industry is I think that people get in their own way and it's a psychological hurdle that they, they have. And Nudge is a technology that's helping to overcome that. And Moira, you have just a, a wealth of knowledge on the psychological side of how to help, you know, bring people together and, and create plans that are actually feasible and, and, and taken action on. So why don't, first off, Moira, why don't you give us a little bit of background, how you even got into this space and, and how you're helping, you know, advisors and, and individuals, et cetera, kind of overcome their own psychological hurdles. Mm, thanks. You know, I've had this just the blessing of of a really diverse career and energy to sort of maintain a couple of streams at the same time. So the, the primary stream initially was as a neuropsychologist and as a clinician and really coming to see up close and personal how much people's relationships to money and around money mattered when the chips were down. You know, when, when thing, I would often see business owners, for example, who might have had a stroke or, or been really badly injured in an accident. And they hadn't done any of the stuff that they're all supposed to do around, around succession planning or fire drills and just realizing how much of a calamity that introduced to their recovery. And then I also have had this side interest for a long time in 
what makes it hard for people to do the right things for their health, for their money, or put more positively, what facilitates doing the right thing? I did my doctoral dissertation on procrastination. And so in particular, what that this this fusion of what people do with time, energy, and money in a way that benefits them and and becomes a blessing in their life versus complicates things. That has always been intriguing to me. So we're going to go down that path because procrastination is something that, I mean, I think we can all learn from. I can learn from that. So I want to to learn from that dissertation. But before I do that, Dave, I want to go over to you because I've been following Nudge for, for a long time and really stoked about what y'all are doing. I'd love to just kind of know what got you into starting and building Nudge and, and kind of and give some everybody some background on, on what y'all do. Sure, thanks. So Nudge was conceived by my co-founder, Sean Erickson, who's a financial planner here in Boston. Sean started his firm, Single Point Partners, about 10 years ago with the intent to have a holistic approach to wealth management. Sean brought the idea for Nudge to me And at first I was a little bit hesitant. I was just coming out of another startup that I co-founded back in 2013. And I wasn't eager to jump back in and especially not too enticed by the idea of building technology for financial advisors. I I think I had an antiquated opinion of what a financial planner was. But as I learned more about what Sean and his company did for their clients, it really started to resonate. You know, they they help their clients with all different aspects of their financial lives and really you know serve as accountability partners in in making sure that their clients take action on their advice and what what they were providing for their clients really kind of resonated with me because it felt a lot like what my dad did for me and my siblings which was nudge us in the right direction you know my dad was kind of a do it yourself for financial kind of guru you know, he had us all with Roth IRAs when we got our first job at 14 years old and, and really like, you know, beat, beat into us the benefits of compounding interest and all of these other things that are really important to, to start early and, and get going. And I've seen the benefits of like just some financial planning. And I can only imagine what everyone else would benefit from if they had access to the kind of service that Sean and his team provide. The thing was, you know, Sean and his team we're spending a lot of time following up with their clients, trying to get them to take action on their advice, often ineffectively, you know, via email and phone calls at the wrong time of the day or, or via the wrong communication channel. So we saw a real opportunity here and we, we learned that, you know, Sean and his team weren't the only planners that were becoming more and more planning focused, that were trying to help their clients with all different aspects of their financial lives. So we think there's a real opportunity to to you know, give advisors a place where they can manage their clients' action items and automate that follow-up for them and give clients a place where they can check in and see what's been assigned and easily communicate back to their clients when they've completed something or if they have any questions about anything. And we're pretty excited about how it's being used and what kind of feedback we're getting. I love that. I love that. And and Moira, you know, you mentioned something because I think Nudge is going towards that path of like helping with you know the follow up item. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just curious. You, you you mentioned something as you were talking about you know it. What makes it so hard to do the right thing, right? Like what makes it so hard? I'm I'm curious to dig into that. Of what does make it so hard to do the right thing? Because we all know that we need to save for retirement. We all know we need to pay down our debt. We all, but you know, I always, I always use the example of like, 
you know, a 30 year old telling them to save for retirement, like you're telling them to save for something that's literally a lifetime away that they can't even wrap their head around what happened 35 years ago because they weren't around 35 years ago. So they can't wrap their head around it. And so I guess what makes it so difficult to do the right thing when we know what the right thing is? I'm afraid that I don't sound very psychological <laughs> when I answer that question. <laughs> I, you know, I'd like to say that we were all weaned too early or that we're, we need to become more highly motivated. But so much of it, Matt, comes down to we just don't have systems in place to support it. We don't have systems in place to support implementation. Uh, I'll give you an example from my own life. I went to see a, a medical specialist last week. and. In the course of that meeting, I, I actually came down and, and wrote it down as much as I could remember, because in the course of that meeting, he gave me 14 follow-up items or 14 key pieces of information. And he didn't write down a single one of them. And he didn't give me any handouts. And because this is a specialist, I'm sure that he does, the, this is like a wash and repeat kind of appointment for him. And, you know, I'm a, I was a professor at the medical school where this guy was taught and I just wanted to say, did you not attend my lecture? Like, <laughs> why did, where is your head with respect to implementation support? So, the the really unsexy truth of it is, is that all of us are as disorganized as we can possibly get away with being. And every once in a while, that bites us seriously in the hind end. We, we don't get to places in time. We don't submit things in time. We assume that things will go perfectly and we don't quite have <laughs> enough slack built in for for real life kinds of issues. Um, and of course, there are things like billion dollar advertising industries out there that are really quite happy to fill the gap and distract us with the things they want to distract us with. So mostly, you know, people just kind of bumble along until they either submit themselves or are submitted mm -hmm. to some system that helps keep them in the rails a little bit. I so, was just amazed, you know, when you do, when you do science, of course, you're supposed to be blind to the variables of interest. It was impossible for me to be blind to which of my experimental subjects scored high or low on procrastination. Because the procrastinators were like walking wrecks. They were, they were wandering around the building trying to find me. They were 20 minutes late. They didn't wear, you know, this is a time when we didn't have smartphones, but they didn't wear watches. They didn't have <laughs> date books. They didn't have systems in place. And so it was just so striking from a very early point in my investigation in this that unless people are given systems, it, doesn't, it often doesn't matter how motivated they are. So that that's really interesting because on the system side, um, because I, I, I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm smiling and I, I, I say I'm thinking like, well, if someone wants to go on a trip, they are very organized. They understand exactly what they're doing, right? If they want to do something that like is passion, but it's all the things that we don't really care about, which then gets us to money and financial situations, right? We all we all care about money because a lot of I mean, the majority of people care about money because it enables them to do something that they want to do, right? That's the the reason. 
but they don't care about money enough to like invest time into systems for their 401k or for their financial life or saving for a house because that's not fun. It's not desirable. So how do we help people overcome that, right? How can we help that idea to help, you know, facilitate the uh, ability for them to overcome procrastination? And, you know, because, you know, if you have a financial advisor, that's great. But I also fear that people just don't want it. They just don't have a desire to talk about finances right now or in their life, especially young professionals. How do we help with that, right? How can we help use like some not tricks. I guess this is the how question. How? How do we solve this whole problem? Let's solve the whole world problems here. <laughs> well, look at how banks do it in terms of some of the, some of the fundamentals that, that people face. Not in Canada, 97% of people pay their mortgages on time every month. I imagine it's kind of the same in, in the U.S., and is that because people remember every two weeks to, you know, go and transfer funds? Like, no way. It's because the bank set the defaults so that the right things happen. Contrast that with things like savings or, or even get outside the field of money for a second. Matt. Security, you know, security, the passwords that we're all supposed to change every month, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't. Well, my husband works for an airline, and let me tell you, they make sure he changes his password <laughs> to get into secure areas of the air. They don't, they don't leave that to chance. And so I think just like I wish that physician had put some, some rails around what he needed me to do, I think all professionals really need to think about how is implementation in part your responsibility. I think about that all the time when I'm working with my patients or my clients, and I'm just really grateful for the organizations and the professionals I work with that also have that mindset because I just get so much more done with them. When you say implementation is your responsibility, can you give us an example of that? Is that is, is that that example of like the mortgage company or, or how does that relate to you know, implementation is is the service provider's responsibility to ensure that they get set up and it's automated and et cetera. Is that where you're going with that? Yes. You know, it's it's a shared responsibility. You know, people have free will <laughs> and some people just are perfectly capable of, of doing things with far less support than than other people. But at the very least, you need to be having conversations about are we in agreement that these are the next steps to take? Right? Just because the oracle has spoken doesn't mean that the, the supplicant has agreed that this is really what's needed. So in medical school, we teach, you know, first you have to find out, are you in agreement? And then you have to find out, does the person understand what difference this thing will make in their life? Mm. And then you both need to understand what might get in the way or what might facilitate the things you need to do in order to reach this outcome. Mm. Now you, within the States, the CFP board, the, the regulatory agency for financial advisors, it has built implementation responsibility right into this ethical standards 
for the profession. So this is no longer, you know, wouldn't this be nice? Wouldn't you just be an extra nice woman or guy if you put this in? It's like, no, now if you want to be an ethical financial advisor who's adherent to the standards, you have to take implementation on as part of what you do. Yeah. And, and the example that you used about the mortgage and about just automating it, it brought back an example. I think I was reading it in the book by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, where it, he was talking about, I think it was, and I, it's a big behavioral psychology study is the organ donation, right? Like where you have to opt in, it's a very low percentage of people that opt in. But when you have to opt out, it's a very high percentage of people that are opting in to, to organ donation. You have a high, there's a low percentage of people that opt out. And it's the same way, right? If you think about when in period of time, I, I was doing, I was helping with 401ks and selling 401ks. And whenever you build the plan, it's always best to have opt. You have to opt out of the 401k as opposed to opt in because you have a higher participation rate within the 401k. And 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 that's what I think it gets to is is helping with that. But the whole implementation, like those three steps, I love that of agreement difference it will make and why it may go wrong, right? Are we like, why can't it go wrong? So we understand that. Dave, I'm, I'm interested in your side because you work with a lot of financial advisors, right? The financial advisors are looking to nudge to help them with some of this. But I'm also curious to see, you know, hear from your experiences of talking with them and working with them. You know, what have you seen that like doesn't work? And what have you seen that does work in terms of helping people reach their financial goals that are talking with financial advisors? Yeah, I mentioned before we before we started the recording that I was just coming out of a great demo right before this, and uh, the financial planner on the demo and I were talking about how, you know, the stuff our financial advisor is asking us to take care of is very rarely the most pressing thing you need to get done on any given day. And she said, "Yeah, they'd rather clean the toilet than do the stuff we're asking them to do." And I I think what we're learning is that you know. Getting a reminder from a trusted advisor in the right way at the right time can have an impact. And it makes a lot of sense to have a, a intermediary managing that. I was meeting with a financial planner recently. I always try to start my conversations with financial planners asking them, you know, what are they hoping that Nudge can help them with so that we make sure that we're on the same page and working toward the same goals. And this advisor was talking about how they spend two, two and a half, three hours in their client meetings and they get into all of their psychology of their relationship with money. They get into marriage counseling. I mean, they're touching on so many different aspects of like this relationship with their clients and it's good and it's helpful. And then the next 25 touch points are transactional in nature of them trying to follow up and see, did you do this thing that we need you to do? Or did you get to this thing? And that's, I think what we're learning is that advisors really relish in the, the, the planning and the getting to know their clients and the relationship building. And this other thing is really important, but it, it almost can detract from all of that. So it makes sense to have like Moira was talking about systems in place to help, whether it's nudge or something else, I think, you know, people get better outcomes when they take action on the advice of their financial planners and they need a system in place to, to manage that. 
I think that, you know, it's, a, and I actually just got off a call about where we we're talking about systems and processes and how to scale your firms and everything of that nature. And it was a matter of, you know, how do we get people to follow the process that we're putting into place and how do we continue to iterate? And, it, and it's no different than, you know, what it, what you need to run a successful business, right? You need to have processes, you need to have organization and, and you need to have that in your life as well. And, you know, this is kind of leading into something else that I'm really curious about, Moira, in terms of the psychology of investors. Because when it comes to you know financial futures, there's a ton of uncertainty, right? You think about all the emotions and the fears and the you know the 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 lack of understanding of a lot of financial terminology and financial vehicles and everything of that nature, and it causes a lot of uncertainty. I think that that also you know just through research and such is what weighs on people. And I'm curious about how advisors can be the, those people to help clients overcome those uncertainties, right? And, you know, not just use data necessarily, but how can we psychologically help them navigate their own minds to become more comfortable with everything? Hmm. Boy, th- that is such a big topic. And, and I, I really want to give that the attention it's due. I think the evidence from from years of research on this now is that security does not come from the number, right? Security yes. comes from working with your own appraisals around what makes you feel safe and 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 what doesn't. Some of that being external things, but a lot of it just being how you're talking to yourself about things, what your experience has been of success in getting through major life events. If you are somebody who tends to run a little bit on the anxious end of the spectrum, then you will know that anxiety is a beast with a bottomless stomach. You can never feed that beast with externalities. The only thing that will feed, you know, your ability to kind of live comfortably with uncertainty is learning how to live comfortably with uncertainty. Mm. And frankly, having trusted advisors to work with around that, who can be empathic about that, who can provide data, the right kind of data at the right time in a way that's not gobbledygook, that's understandable, and that's really addressing the 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 heart issues that 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 are driving the conversation that makes a huge difference there is a value a, a huge value to advice aside from the specific recommendations there's a value to sitting in the room with somebody that you have come to believe truly has your back and knows your heart and that can go a, a very long way in in helping people deal with their anxiety. But then there's the flip side, which again, as a prof at a medical school, I I saw all the time and I see it in now that I'm doing parallel work within the financial community. And that is that advisors can inadvertently add to the anxiety. And one of the primary mistakes that they make is using language that is just so specialized, you know, the jargon thing. And they make people feel stupid. It's not intentional, but it's just a byproduct of talking over somebody's head. And that that increases people's sense of, of not being psychologically safe. 
And so some people, uh, when I was researching my book, I had people tell me about specific times that they quit going to advisors because they, they just felt awful during and after each and every meeting because some of those, some of those dynamics were at play. The best advisors know how to work so that people feel settled after a meeting. And you can feel settled cognitively, and you can feel settled relationally, and you can feel settled emotionally. So there, there are different ways of achieving it, but that's what the best advisors do. There's so much gold in, in that just that segment right there. I mean, there was just so much gold in that because I was, I was writing down all of these notes as you were talking because it was so powerful in the sense that I think there's so much that advisors can take away, right? Security doesn't come from a number. We always think as humans that it's like, well, once I get to this amount, then I'll be happy, right? Once I get to a million dollars saved, I'll be fine. That's never the case, right? It's just time and time again, it's never been the case. We're never satisfied and numbers will never make us satisfied, which then gets to it's it comes from what makes you safe, which then reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like what makes us feel safe, right? We need that is that is our biggest desire is safety. And and then it like and then I go to the point of saying and, and you know, more we need to get you to start training more and more advisors because I think advisors should be studying instead of you know, modern portfolio theory and, and Monte Carlo analysis, they should be studying psychology, right? We should be doing psychology tests for our clients so that we understand what is their anxiety levers? What, 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 what makes them tick from that standpoint? I, I'm interested to know how advisors can be better at understanding their clients from a psychological standpoint. Because if you look at every advisor's, you know, client information taken sheet for a new prospect, it's always money, money, and money, right? What do you have? What are you bringing in in retirement? What debt do you have, right? It's like, it's all about money. So how can we be better at helping to understand the psychology so that then we can effectively use tools like Nudge to then communicate with them in the right medium at the right time at the, to get them to take action? Mm. One of the One of the most important things that you can do is to be super, super, deliberate about asking questions and listening, getting people talking, especially during the first few meetings. But that is precisely the time when advisors are also kind of the most anxious themselves. They're eager to impress. They're eager to kind of nail the business. And so what do a lot of people do when they're nervous? They talk. And advisors, oh my gosh, I don't know whether this is because of like the remnant of it coming out of a sales background, but holy Toledo, can some of those people talk? (laughs) And when you recognize that client satisfaction with a meeting is directly related to how much airtime the client got, then you should become highly motivated to just hush, to shut up and figure out how to get people talking and telling you about their lives. So so I guess almost helping advisors get to the point where they can trust that all of this relationship building, true relationship building is in the interest of both of you in the long run. 
you know, I think that I, I can throw my hand up and say I'm probably one of those advisors that can talk uh, and talk and talk, but I had to learn how to listen, right? I had to learn how to listen, not to fix, but just to hear, right? I was always listening, how do I fix, fix, fix? But you have to learn how to listen to hear so you can be a better advisor and you can ask the better questions. And, you know, there's something else that you said earlier about advisors can add to the anxiety with, with language that's so specialized, right? I think you have to be, you have to be a really good storyteller as well. You have to be able to storytell to help people understand and relate to different topics as opposed to just using your jargon to sound smart. I think advisors also feel sometimes we like to just use language because we just learned a new economic term that we want to utilize and it just sounds fun. And, and so I, I see that. And you know, Dave, I want to come over to you because I, I want to just switch gears just a second. And I think that there's there's somewhat of a reason I think I may be able to bring this together at some point in this podcast, but is you know, we're talking about having having advisors clients take action, right? And and procrastinate and the inability from a psychological standpoint to overcome some of those hurdles and how advisors can help. And I'm a big believer that technology can help advisors be better, right? But advisors have we we all have this inclination and and kind of pushback to to technology and we want to keep things the way that they've always been. We don't want to rock the boat. We're very risk averse from that standpoint. I'm curious because y'all started a technology company that sells to advisors. You know, how what how have you utilized, you know, from what Moira talks about on psychology of clients to help advisors to see the value and the impact of the technology to better their business and and better their clients' lives as well, because I know it can be hard selling technology inside of this industry, especially. Yeah, it's a great question, Matt. It's you know when we when we set out with Nudge and did as much market research as we could and spoke to as many financial advisors as we could, we learned that there was this shared pain point and that there was an opportunity to help, and that no one else was really addressing this particular need of of helping advisors manage their follow-up with their clients. What we didn't realize is that while we were working on something unique, we're still competing for advisors' attention with the 300 other tools that are at their disposal. I mean, you've seen Michael Kitsis's, you know, FinTech roadmap or, or map or whatever it is, and he's run out of, you know, real estate on the, on the, on the screen to put anything else on there. So the question is, you know, how do you get financial advisors to appreciate that what Nudge is offering is important or that it's going to add value? And then once you do convince them that there's this need that we can help them address, how do we help them change their own behavior in, in using our tool? And, and that's an ongoing you know, problem that we're trying to solve. We, we have great meetings with advisors, they see the need, but then in the end, we're asking them to change their process for how they engage with their clients. And there's, um, you know, whenever you're trying to get anyone to change their behavior, you're up against the status quo. What were they doing up until then? And and how do you encourage them to, to change that process? And for advisors, it traditionally looks like, you know, having a meeting with your client and in that meeting, discussing their goals and aspirations. And from that discussion, a handful of things might come out that you as their advisor can implement on their behalf. And then, there's a and then there's a handful of things that they need to take action on themselves. Advisors will often, you know, summarize what was discussed in that meeting and then share along with that summary, the list of who's going to do what next. What we're hearing over and over and over again is that 
clients get one or two things done and then the rest falls by the wayside. And then the advisors left trying to figure out what was action and what is still outstanding and when and how or if is the right way to follow up. So what we advocate for is changing that behavior and, and letting your clients know that you're going to you know, receive these reminders about these action items. Maury talks a lot about you know, the importance of getting buy-in from the clients on what those action items are in the first place. And also, when do they think they're going to get them done by? You know, like, a, I think, a shared agenda or the, the, the conversation around what's going to get done, who's going to do it, what are the potential barriers, what are the benefits is all really important. But then we're asking advisors to take these action items and, and put them into nudge, which is, you know, very easy to do, but it's a change in process. And it's also them getting comfortable with the idea that their clients are going to get reminders. I actually started writing a um, blog post about, you know, don't be afraid of your clients. They actually want you to help them get this stuff done <laughs> because there is this, I think, you know, there's, there's this concern, you know, all client touch points are delicate and important. And we want, we, rep, we, we recognize that, but we also recognize the huge value in helping your clients take action on this stuff. It's it's don't poke the bear, right? Don't poke the bear, right? Why do we need to let them know? We don't want to we don't wake up a sleeping giant at that point. Yeah, right? there really is that. I mean, not with all advisors and Nudge has been really, you know, one of the things that's been really nice about Nudge is it's been kind of self-filtering where we're dealing with client with advisors that are very concerned with with their clients taking action on their things. Like, right, they they see the need for Nudge. So I'm sure there's a whole demographic of advisors out there that have that don't poke the bear mentality but even the advisors that are coming to nudge you can tell that there's like this concern is this going to be too much is this going to be overwhelming they're always asking for you know insight on how end clients receive these nudges and you know have you heard any feedback and we do we hear feedback all the time and we hear feedback along the lines of this is bringing peace of mind you know like having everything in one place and accounted for is actually really welcome for end clients and knowing that they're going to get reminders about these things as they near their due dates is really welcome. And knowing that their advisor isn't the one spending their time reaching out to see if they got this thing done is nice. You know, like, so there's a lot of shared benefits from it, but we do need to help advisors change their behavior in the process. Yeah, there's two there's two topics I want to touch on that you mentioned the shared agenda, which I think is really interesting. What are we working and and Moira, you talked about this in a recent podcast. What are we working on together versus just the traditional meeting agenda? I, I want to get into why that's so helpful, but before we do that, I, I want to understand. You know, like you're talking about Dave about changing behavior. That's such a. I mean, and I I think that that's kind of the underlying topic that we've been talking about here. But I, I'm curious, like, how do we overcome that from a psychological standpoint i mean i have that challenge with me just in my day-to-day -day life like how do i overcome how do i change behaviors and you know there's all these great books out there atomic habits and all those types of things that tell you about how to change behaviors or create habits and stop other habits more i'm just curious i mean from your studies like what have you learned that has that people that are able to do it really well and the people that aren't able to do it really well so that maybe we can all just get slightly better at it over time. Sure. Well, part of it does have to do with nudge, right? Part of it has to do with are the defaults in our lives set up in such a way to benefit us? 
not to eliminate our choice. That's not what a nudge is. That's what a law is, right? A nudge is just setting it up so that without any removal of freedom of choice, people are helped to do the right thing. And was one of the reasons why I was really drawn to Sean and Dave's company, Nudge with the K, because, you know, it, it was just a clear indicator that they got it, that these, that issues, profound issues of meaning and well-being do not exist in isolation from the systems that support it. That, right? So think about it really pragmatically. Kitsis did a study about how advisors spend their time. And it was like six hours a week in follow-up with clients and another six hours a week in prep for meetings, much of which is, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, much of which is, did they do the things that we asked them to follow up on? And so you think about how much more time would you have as an advisor to form those deep relationships, to truly listen and understand if you weren't spending 12 hours, you know, it's not that that gets reduced to zero, but if you could seriously reduce a good choice chunk of that time by having um, a fully compliant, efficient system in place for getting messages to and from each other. I have, I just have the blessing of a wonderful financial advisor new to our family now. And I can't believe how much stuff I have, I have managed to achieve with, with this new firm because of the support that they provide Mm. at every step of the way. And so I strive to be that myself as a practitioner, and I strive to help other practitioners get that way. I love that. And, um, so the the last thing that I want to touch on, because like the change behavior idea, it is just so difficult to, to overcome that, but there are ways of getting to that point, um, is you talk about in that recent podcast, I forget which podcast I was listening to more of, but you talk about the agenda and the importance of not just having a meeting agenda, but it's more about what are we working on together? And and Dave was mentioning that earlier about, you know, let's set a date. Like, when do you think you're going to get this done by so that we can have an accountability? I, I just want to dig deeper into that. And I understand how those are different, right? Like if an advisor is like, well, that's what we're always talking about. That's what the agenda is. But like, how is it different? And what does it lead to for the benefit of the advisor as well? The advisor, an expert in any domain, knows that there are certain things that need to get done at some point, eventually. You got to get around to it or, you know, the, the, the boat will leak. And so there are things that have to get done. And you are the expert generally on on primarily what at least the foundational elements of that are. But the client is the expert on his or her life. The client knows what the competing demands are on time, energy, and money. The client knows what their own track record of success is on having tried to do this before. The client knows if there's somebody in their life who's going to be really upset if they do this thing, you know. Saving seems like a good idea all around, right? Well, no, not if your spouse is really wanting a boat. It's not. A, it's not. And so the just 
realizing that what you're trying to create is kind of like this perfect peanut butter cup of, of, you know, I got the chocolate, you got the peanut butter, let's come together and figure out how to make this work. What is the best time to be doing this? And what do you have to bring to the table that will help? And what do I need to understand about what's going to make this hard for you? Mm -hmm. And what can I do to make it easier? Those are part of the of of just a really full agenda that that takes an honest look at reality and doesn't continue to act under the illusion that the financial planning appointment is the only thing and the most important thing in their life. It never is. Meetings with neurologists or neurosurgeons or cardiologists are not the most important thing all the time at top of mind either. So having to make room for reality is a pretty important part of being a good planner. Well, I, I mean, I always think about it um, because I think to your point about like when you went into the doctor, the medical specialist, and they gave you 14 items that you had to do, right? Like uh, nobody wants to go somewhere where they just get tasks that now they have to go figure out how to do, right? Where it just becomes a burden to them. And you have to understand that because I always I always talk to advisors and we one of the biggest debates, which it's not it's not uh for happy hours because it's not that intriguing to most people but it's like whether i use a, a, a calendly feature for scheduling they're like no i don't want to use calendly because i want to call my clients and schedule the meetings because it's a touch point it allows me to build a relationship with them and i i always tell them i'm like that's the last thing that your clients want because basically you're just giving them another to do because they're probably gonna have to go talk to their spouse. And then that means that they're gonna have to remember to talk to their spouse at night and then remember to email you in the morning. And if that doesn't work, then you're giving them more to-dos to go back in the future. So what you're doing is actually, you're not helping the relationship, you're creating more work for them. And we have to be understanding of that when we're building a financial plan because we're like so ingrained in the numbers. It's like, this is what you gotta do. But we have to remember to your point, Moira, that it's not the only thing that they're working on. And we have to understand what's going on in their lives. How do we build this into their lives so that they can have success with this to reach the life that they want at that point in time? And I think that's so intriguing. So I, you know, I could have this conversation for for days. As Moira was talking about advisors, you know, love to talk. So I could just talk with y'all forever uh, here. And Moira didn't take offense to that at all. I, I, you're talking about me. I get it. But I want y'all to get back to doing what y'all are doing. I've really appreciated this conversation, but I know that more people are going to want to continue to learn about y'all and follow y'all and what you're doing. So I'd love, you know, Moira, let's start with you. And I know you recently published a book back in 18 called Advice That Sticks, How to Get Financial Advice That People Will Follow. So how can people purchase that book? How can they continue to follow you? How can they get in touch with you first and foremost? Sure. So the book is available on Amazon and in bulk if if there are institutions out there that want me to come do some training, which is a particular joy in my life to do that. My website is moneymindandmeaning.com. And then I am I also have the great privilege of working with Nudge. And so if you connect with Nudge around some of these points, you'll also be connecting with me. Love that. And then Dave, how can they stay in touch with you personally and also with Nudge if they want to get more information on all the great things y'all are doing over there? Yeah. So you can sign up to follow us at nudge.com, subscribe to our newsletter. But um, if you're a financial planner watching this, I think the best thing would be to you know join one of our demos or just sign up and try it out. We have a free tier that allows you to use it indefinitely with no obligation for up to 13 contacts. We coined it the Baker's Dozen. 
And it's a great way for advisors to get comfortable with the tool, understand how it works, understand how easy it is to use before um, committing to a, a broader rollout. I love that. Well, thank y'all both for for helping to be the first trio here on Bridging the Gap. Really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Psychology and helping people, you know, nudge in the right direction, nudge people in the right direction is such a, something that's so passionate to me. So thank you all so much for your time. Really appreciate you. And I encourage all of our listeners, please go follow them because you're going to learn a lot from them just like we did here on Bridging the Gap. Hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 